Obviously. On the prompt. That game was actually called Sweatshop, by the way. It's, still it's called Sweatshop? Yeah, it was called Sweatshop, yeah. Okay. Welcome to The Prompt, a weekly panel discussion on technology and the culture surrounding Apple and related companies. It is April 2nd, 2014. Welcome back to the world's greatest podcast. This is episode 42. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined, as I always am, by Mr. Federico Vatici. Hello, sir. How are you? Buonasera, Mike. Hey, buddy. How's things? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm very well, and I'm very happy that we have our returning friend, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, boys. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm glad to be with you guys. I, I listened to the show, and I was sad. Also, I was sort of maybe talking to you in my car when I was alone. That's okay. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> We've got an action-packed show today. We do. It is uh, It's a party. Sure is. Should we maybe just jump straight into some follow-up? Follow-up. Wow, you're not messing around this week. Nope. First, oh man, I get to do follow-up. It's weird to hear someone else do follow-up. Got to say, a little protective of it. Yeah, it's weird to do it. <laughs> it's weird to keep up with it all. Can you just, if you're not going to be on the show in the future, just record the follow-up <laughs> and send it to me? Just record the follow-up. I'll get, I'll get right on that. Because uh, usually I miss the show because I have lots of free time and I can do that. <laughs> yep. yep. The yep, uh, yep. Speaking of <clears throat> yelling, uh, I like to have themes in the follow-up mm-hmm. now. Something I'm trying. Uh, speaking of yelling alone in your car, episode 89 of... Uh, your interview show on Five by Five uh, Command Space. You had, oh, what is his name? Um, Casey. Guy oh, that Casey. guy. That guy. Yeah. Uh, Who the hell is Casey? One day he's really gonna snap, and it's gonna be bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you had uh, look, someone's mowing the yard. I don't, I don't know what's happening. Um, you had Casey on, and it was as a, it was a great episode, even if you. Normally, if this is the only thing you listen to of Mike's, because Federico and I are so cool, you should check this out because it's it's a really interesting conversation about um, not only like creating things on the internet, which lots of people talk about, but sort of the opportunities that uh, even make that possible. And uh, at some point during the show, I, I had the timestamp at some point, but you guys talk about the prompt for a good while, and it's a good it's a good look at how we sort of work the how the three of us put this together every week and it was it was interesting uh, to hear being on it i think if you know if you want to know more about how we put this crazy thing together every week you should definitely definitely check it out thank you so You're did welcome. you like did you like our episode Steven? i did Good. you guys snuck video game stuff in which last time you did you created a um separate podcast so mm-hmm. i don't know what happens at that point yeah, this time, this time, basically, we're just gonna drop Mike into a virtual reality world, and we're gonna leave him there. Mm-hmm. I think he lives in the virtual reality. World. I do, I do. And me and Federico have also decided that we're gonna start a new podcast about iTunes Radio. Yeah, so just look. covering all the streaming services. Yeah. So look for that on Five. I, ha- I have a, I have a name for it. Okay. Yeah. Crossing streams. Ooh, Wait. Okay. Oh, mm. come on. I think mm. that's 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 definitely a uh... <clears throat> the uh, the next the next bit of follow up the next two p- pieces of follow up I would categorize as take action follow up. Uh, so the the first are a couple of tweets that Federico has found for us 
of uh, our famous uh, take action quote showing up in the real world. Um, first one, or, or one of them, I should say, is on an IRS form, which is terrifying. <laughs> uh, so, so someone, uh, you know, definitely just took a picture of their tax form and tweeted it to us. Um, so that's cool. Um, but yeah, so the IRS wants you to take action. And the other one is out of Windows 8, and... Uh, and basically, there's it's a uh, a dialog box of what to do with an optical disc, and the last one says take no action. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so once again, we have proven our anti Microsoft bias because we're Apple so, fanboys. Speaking of take action, speaking of see what I did, I'm linking mm. these. I'm building, wow. I'm building a narrative out of the follow up. It's like a web of follow up. It's it's like a, it's like an information superhighway <laughs> follow up. <laughs> Follow-up uh, is cars and the topics are trucks. Is oh. there one of, one of those new generic top-level domains? Is there a dot follow-up one? I wish there was. There should, there should be. be one. We have uh, show notes, apparently, that, yes, you can find on the, that you can find on the internet. And uh, so this week's uh, you can find at theworldsgreatestpodcast.com slash 42. <clears throat> like we did a little custom domain thing there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Is there is there a sound effect that you could play that would every time we talk about buying a domain name, or maybe that could become a new section of the show where like we spend money. I mean, I have a sound effect. I know, I know, but I I don't want to play it. It's a it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um. So Apple makes a product, or they used to make a product uh, called iWork, and it. <laughs> Turns out it's not. They, they, st- <laughs> they still make a product. <laughs> That's the news. That's the follow-up. It's it's not dead. Um, so there's a there's a link uh, in the show notes uh, to Mac Rumors and another one to a website called uh, Mac Stories. I don't know some crazy guy. I writes hate it. that site. I, I don't like it. <laughs> I wish it was responsive. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> I love you, Federico. Um, <laughs> So, uh, I mean, Federico, kind of, kind of briefly walk us through this. I know there, there's a lot of Apple Script stuff, um, and the iCloud apps got some updates. Is that is that yeah. kind of the the meat of it? Yeah. So, um, they, Apple decided uh, yesterday on a casual Tuesday to release updates for uh, the entire i iWork suite of applications for iOS, OS X, and iCloud.com. So uh, there are some general new features that are shared across all the versions. So uh, you can now create uh, shared shared documents that um, are view only. So if you want to share a document and you don't want to let the other, uh, another person edit the document, you can make it view only. And that's supported across OS X, iOS, and iCloud.com. There are other specific changes to, to the individual applications. And on iOS, for instance, there's, um, there's um, I think, a new search feature to, to look for documents uh, by name. On iCloud.com, there's a new design for the document editor. And on the Mac, there's a lot of stuff on the Mac, actually. Um, and like you said, the, the biggest improvement seems to be AppleScript. And in Pages, there's a lot of new stuff for the... What's the, the technical name of the new... Like the sidebar? Uh, the document navigator, I'm going to say. Sure. Uh, <laughs> that sounds. That all yeah. sounds right. Okay. Yeah. 
so yeah, there's a lot of new stuff in pages for sections, for um, uh, I guess images in tables, and a lot of features that were missing from the original apps released in October. And so people seems to be people seem to be happy about about this update. But Apple Script, uh, Apple did a lot of unexpected work there because not only did they bring back a lot of old stuff that was removed from the iWork um, 2009 uh, to iWork uh, 13 uh, transition. Uh, there's old stuff that's back and there's also new stuff. But besides that, there's a, a new sort of consistency between the, 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 the Apple script dic- dictionaries. So you can write some code for pages and in theory it should work out of the box with numbers. So if you make a table in, 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 in numbers and you want to continue editing that table in, in, in pages, there's going to be little effort from you to, to change the script. And Macworld has a nice article about this new consistency between scripts uh, uh, by Ben Waldy. And it sounds really awesome, especially if you make scripts that take advantage of the new features of, of Apple Script. So, for instance, you can take some some data from numbers and create a slide and, and presentations in Keynote with Apple Script, which sounds amazing. So, I'm looking forward to seeing what people will 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 create with this stuff. There's also a new uh, site called um, iWorkAutomation.com, which uh, I, I don't know if this site is is made by someone at Apple. You made uh, it, didn't you? No, I, I did not. Uh, I uh, my guess it. is that it, it it's um, it's someone at Apple. Uh, but anyway, it's got a lot of examples of um, the new features of Numbers and Kino and Pages on the Mac uh, with the new document format, the new text dictionary for AppleScript, and the new communication between apps using AppleScript. So it sounds really, really powerful and... Um, I'm seeing people who complained in October. Now they're happy. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's good news. Yeah, you know, we talked obviously at length about about the the deficiencies of the um, uh, the new, the new iWork, and it, it it's it's reassuring that they not only have I mean, like you said, not only gone back to the level of the old release, but they've gone past it, especially in the in the Apple Script arena, which you know, a lot of uh, people, you know, look at AppleScript and kind of wonder why it's why it's still around. And so to see them making an investment there is really encouraging. Um, you know, it, is it enough for us to go back to? Like, I think I think time will tell. Um, but it, but it's interesting, and you know, I, I I will admit though, I sort of chuckled to myself. The news came out yesterday, which was, uh, you know, April Fool's Day, which everything on the internet is terrible. Um, the, uh, you know, I was like, oh, look, I got updated and laughed. And then I realized that it was on Mac Stories and it was probably not a joke. So, finally. So, yeah, I'm pretty happy myself because um, I have some... I have a bunch of documents that are, like, in numbers that I update... Uh, every month and I always do the the manual copying and pasting to to create a chart and you know that kind of stuff and I've been looking for a way to automate that part and the new Apple script the new Apple script additions in 
in numbers uh, they they seem to to do the, just what i was looking for and so yeah i, I don't know if i have the time to, to to create a script myself uh I, I guess that i will find some version online and i will modify it but yeah the good news is that uh it's it looks pretty fantastic the bad news for me <laughs> well it's not news uh but you know i'm still sad that there's no official apple made scripting feature on ios and man I'm oh really hoping... you're such a dreamer federico i know i know right people people want to work on ios <laughs> i don't think that's true yeah no, but you can't do real work on ios nobody oh, wow. nobody buys nobody buys ios devices anymore guys it's done <laughs> they should shut it down return the money to the shareholders it's, it's done wow it's... old burn i love it um I, I think it's it's time I mean, I don't, I don't know how we can appreciate and how we can share our gratitude to a very special prompt listener who has made what is perhaps the finest piece of fan art we've ever received. Yep. Yeah. So, so Mike, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, I don't know if you guys have, have caught on that we have spent a little time thinking about photo management over the last year. Seriously, I thought I thought we I thought we talked about music streaming more. Yeah, I thought we talked about iWork. Apparently, <laughs> at some point uh, we accidentally shut down Everpix, and uh, so we're very happy to announce, um, w- in conjunction with uh, Joe Steele Industries, Prompt Dot Photos, <laughs> and uh, I really just want to sit here and read the whole thing to you because. Every single syllable of this website is perfect. But I I think, Federico, I think you found maybe the best paragraph. uh, Let me, I'll give it a little bit of explanation before. Can you give an overview of this new, brand new service? Basically, by the prompt. uh, This is uh, at prompt.photos. You're going to find out all about the new, uh, very special service that we have created to help you host your photos in the, um, as we are calling it, Forever Cloud. That's a trademark of the world's greatest podcast industries. Basically, you're going to find out all about how our super secret private sharing options will make sure that nobody ever sees your photos. Um, you're going to find out some incredible things about all of the security that we're doing um, and just in general how we're going to make sure that all of your photos are backed up to all of your devices anywhere, wherever you are. Um, and that This is what you're going to find out with some incredible diagrams which really sort of bring to life um, exactly what you're going to get with prompt and, photos. And our technology is built upon a very simple idea and workflow, which is take, share, and love, <laughs> which we tend to apply to every common scenario for uh, uploading and managing photographs. And, um, and everything that we do, really. And, and we are seriously committed to this new platform. And I just wanted to say uh, congrats to everyone involved for shipping. <laughs> It's 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 I've never been prouder of work that we haven't done. <laughs> um, Congrats to everyone in uh, in London and <laughs> I cannot do this. I want to patch over to the uh, America office to uh, finish yeah. off this investors call today. Yeah, so, the, so there the, there's been a lot of a lot of talk about uh, acquisitions, and I, and I think right off the bat that we really uh, we really want to address. 
those concerns. And so I'm going to read you what our lawyer wrote, if that's that's okay. Yes. It's not actually not okay. He made me do it. Is our lawyer Matt Alexander? It's hard to say, but most definitely. Okay. As a part of our commitment to you, we're preventing you from uploading any files in order to protect your data from our inevitable acquisition. Wait. Matt definitely wrote this. Our lucrative business, these are terms he loves, our lucrative business model (laughs) will prove so attractive, we don't want to upset you if we're acquire hired by someone you don't like. Acquire hired. (laughs) Good work, buddy. (laughs) Um, um, Words are hard if you're from Tennessee. So really what we're saying is we've made, mostly Joe Steele Industries, we've made something that is, um, to borrow a term, magical revolutionary, invigorating, but we've done it in such a way that you can't ever be mad at us. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a win-win. We, we, have, we have created a product that is made for people who live in the connected age, and we sit at the intersection of photos and awkwardness, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and we really believe in, in our vision. We, yep. uh, we have built a strong team and the team has been doing a fantastic job with, uh, the, and I'm with really, the technology. I'm really excited to to find out what our cost sat levels are going to be like. <laughs> and uh, it's off the charts. The, the customer sat is off the charts. And I'm really, I'm really, really pleased to to make sure that we're firmly positioned to be uh, your digital hub. And so, uh, 2014 is going to be a big year for prompt.photos, and there's more to come. We have products that are scheduled throughout the year, and we potentially, maybe not, yes we are, or not entering new product categories. Our our pipeline is so huge, we couldn't even take a photo of it. (laughs) (laughs) Microsoft, let's bring this back down to earth. Yeah, let's really uh, make it depressing and talk about Microsoft. No, I have loads of exciting things to talk about with Microsoft I, today. Uh, I don't even... You spelled ton in a funny way in the show notes. Spelled um, it correctly in English. So there's really kind of two Microsoft subtopics. Uh, the first is, and we're talking a little bit more about this with our secret special guest, who if you've read the show notes, totally know who it is. Um, but the idea that Microsoft and Apple are or were, uh, at, you know, in some sort of battle against each other. And um, that really struck me this week, uh, kind of in the aftermath of Office for iPad, uh, you know, being released. You know, how, how do these companies uh, view each other? And back in, if you guys remember, well, you were like three. In 1997, uh, you know, jobs came back, and Microsoft um, made an investment in Apple committed to uh, have building several versions of Microsoft Office. In this, they got to make Internet Explorer the default browser, which in the keynote video, people are like freaking out in rage. Um, the Internet Explorer will be the default, but Jobs makes a joke that they believe in choice. And so other other browsers, which like there were no other browsers on the Mac, really. Um, so all, all that aside, the, the, the part that applies to our conversation today, um, Jobs basically says... You know, and it's a famous quote that we have to let go of this notion that for Apple to win, Microsoft has to lose. We have to embrace a notion that for Apple to win, Apple has to do a really good job. And I think there's 
definitely parts of the Apple community that don't buy into this. But I think Microsoft like completely missed the memo. Um, and I think Office for iPad is an ex- is an example of how maybe that's changing. So it's it's not hard to imagine the conversation where Steve Ballmer uh, doesn't allow Office for iPad to go out the door and mostly and just shouting at somebody. Yeah, he's just running around. He's throwing chairs. He's very sweaty. Sweaty all the very sweaty man. Um, and there, obviously, we don't know what happened, but. There's lots of evidence that Balmer still had a distaste for for Cupertino uh, in a way that was very old fashioned. You know, you think about Apple before Jobs came back in the the mid '90s. You think you go even further back to the '80s. Um, there was definitely some some um, hatred between the two companies, but I think Jobs resolved that, or at least attempted to resolve that. Um, but I think Balmer came from an age where. They couldn't get along, and I think it hurt Microsoft. Like, is that does that make sense? Like, I think potentially equally, the change of of Jobs and Ballmer will enable the companies to work a bit a bit better together. Because I know that you know Steve Jobs was he instigated this change originally, but that was when Apple was in a very different position. I'm sure that Steve Jobs of successful Apple may have viewed Microsoft differently to Steve Jobs of failing Apple. So, like, the changeover of, like, Cook and Nadella may see changes in the way that the companies interact. I mean, we've seen it already, right, with the tweets. Yeah, which, yeah, which is a whole other Yeah, it's a whole other thing. That I got a lot of emails about. Um, you know, I, I wonder, like, and I've said this before, and, and I'm not, this is definitely not an original thought, but I think for Microsoft to succeed in, like, the 21st century, the model of you know, Windows plus Office for hundreds of dollars. Like, it just doesn't work anymore. And I I think for Microsoft to be a successful company and a company that's interesting, which is important as well, that they've got to move to this, this, you know, this new model of building, like, good apps. Uh, And the Office or iPad has problems. Like, I don't, I'm not saying that it doesn't you can't even print from the thing but it looks um, good though like it, it does look good and there's lots of potential there and it's powered by a service that's pretty good and like that's where microsoft needs to be like you can still sell your windows and sell your office because you're always going to have people to buy that stuff but to be interesting and to evolve past that and to and to diversify in this post pc world they have to embrace things like the ipad and like, even though none of us are, I don't think any of us are using Office on our iPad. You know, I think Federico is making lots of Excel spreadsheets. But past that, like, it's. It, I hope that it's just the first step, and I hope that there's more to come. So yeah, um, as you can imagine, I I don't know much about Office. I don't. I do not use Office. Um, but here's what I'm thinking: is that in spite of Apple trying to, you know. And I believe them when they say that they they want to offer this idea that um, iOS and OS X have been making great progress in 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 the enterprise market. And in Italy, in uh, when I go to an office or when <laughs> okay, there's a funny joke. When I go to an office or when I go to 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 a store, when I go to my uh, when I go to my accountant's office, uh, I don't see Macs. I don't see 
you know, I work, I just see old Windows PCs running it, Office. <laughs> yeah. So that's the reality, right? People are still using Office. So, and there's this idea that Microsoft Office is done. And because, especially in the quote-unquote Apple community, uh, people making fun of Microsoft Office. And, and I get that, you know, because, you know, people coming from the old Microsoft versus Apple wars and... But but the reality for me is that people are still using Office, and now it may be that iWork has gotten better, and for sure Apple is still making progress there, as we talked about a few minutes ago. But I, but I believe that Office is still a big deal, especially for you know stores and and small businesses and companies that are are not so huge to to manage deploys of a hundred thousand iPads with iWork. So for me, having Office on multiple platforms only makes sense. Now, what I'm not so sure about is the, the, the pricing model because the subscription stuff seem, it seems pretty pricey, right? Especially when you got Google Drive for free, for instance. But I, but I recognize the fact that at least what I see here, and again, this is as far as my knowledge goes, uh, I still see a lot of people using Office on old PCs and they don't want to switch, they don't want to invest in a Mac or in, in uh, you know, a p- more powerful computer. They're still using maybe Windows, Windows XP or uh, maybe they have upgraded to Windows 7, definitely not Windows 8. And so, yeah, Office, I, I think, still matters as mu- for as much as Apple nerds want to make fun of it. Uh, I, I totally agree, and, and I'm not suggesting that it's going away. I mean, I think that there's always going to be that that base for Microsoft, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. You know, you hear, I've definitely heard in other shows, and you read articles of people saying, you know, you know, Microsoft needs to move past Windows or whatever. And like, the reality is that OS 10 is never going to, um, that I foresee, replace Windows in the corporate environment. I mean, Federico, what you said is absolutely dead on in my experience as well, that that business runs on Microsoft stuff. And there are pockets of that where that's not true. Um, but I think, Mike, you can look as far as, as your day job, and it's, mm-hmm. it's I'm sure, very Microsoft-driven. Yep. And, and Microsoft can still make good money there. And yes, like Windows 8 is a miss in the enterprise, but so is Vista. And so, you know, maybe with 9 or... 8.5 or whatever is next, maybe they can resolve some of that stuff. I think Windows 8.1 resolves a lot of the Surface stuff, uh, not a pun, Surface-level stuff, um, now. And that's fine. Like, that's great. And I don't I don't think Apple really cares about that market at all. Apple has retreated from the enterprise, at least on the desktop. I think on mobile it's it's very different. But on the desktop, they've retreated. And that's, that's fine. Um, but... It's time for Microsoft to grow, and it's time for the company to evolve. And under this new leadership, with a guy whose background is cloud services, like it's it's not hard to draw you know draw the connection between those between those points. Uh, a, a good point that that I believe Microsoft addressed with with Office on on iOS is making the apps free to view documents. And again, speaking from my own personal experience, I'm not a technology expert of Microsoft. Uh, uh, when, when I go to, to the hospital and uh, to, to see my doctor, uh, I, I see two things. 
One, she has to use the old crappy Windows PC, running the hospital management software, running the patient database, and running Office for documents. And the second thing is that she uses her own iPhone. Uh, so what I see all the time is that she, my doctor creates the, a document to, for instance, to print and, and, and to give it to me on the computer. But in theory, now I don't know if she's using Office on the iPhone, which is free uh, to view documents. But in theory, it seems like a good idea to, to be able to, you know, let people create documents on, on, on Office for the PC and to let them view those documents on an iPhone because they are bringing their own iPhone to work anyway. So uh, I don't know now if organizations will, you know, adopt the new Office uh, 365 subscriptions. On I don't even know if the copy of Office that I see my doctor using is a, like a licensed copy. <laughs> uh, I guess so because it seems to be one of those uh, enterprise uh, software things. And um, so, yeah, again, I'm, I don't know much, but from what I see, I, I, I think there is still, there's still a reason to exist for Office and, and making it free to view documents, I think it's smart. The overall pricing strategy, I, I think it's a bit expensive for normal people, casual users. I don't know. I don't know much else. I, I leave that to you and maybe to Ben Thompson. To figure it out we're on it <laughs> I, I, I want you guys to tell me <laughs> what's going on with microsoft well I, I will actually because they've had their build conference today and i've, oh, yeah? and I've been okay. i've been keeping tabs on it because i actually think a lot of the stuff that they've done today is, is quite interesting for a bunch of different reasons but before we do that i want to take a moment to thank um, our sponsor for this week's episode um, there's still so much more awesome stuff we've we've got for you today, but we want to take a very quick break to thank our friends over at Squarespace. Squarespace, they are the only one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code GREATEST at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Let me tell you some stuff that I love about Squarespace. They have absolutely fantastic designs that you can get started with. They're, they're just beautiful. They have designs for all different types of sites. I mentioned you know, they're, they're a great place for websites, portfolios, online stores. Um, any type of website you want to make, they have templates that fit all of this sort of stuff perfectly. And anything that they have, you can adapt and tweak and craft to fit it into whatever type of website you want to create. So they're very adaptable, but they, they make it simple to just get up and go as well. So you can just set up a site throw some content in, drag and drop some content around, throw in some of their content blocks. You can pull in maybe your Instagram gallery or something like that, and you've got a website to put out into the world. Or you can tweak stuff and really sort of fine-tune it, change the colors, change the fonts, that sort of stuff, and do it. Or they have developer tools so you can get in under the hood and you can play around with all the code inside and really just 100% make it your own. All the Squarespace's templates come with their own responsive design too, so they're going to look fantastic on all devices, no matter how big the screen size is. They have 24-7 support. They do this through live chat and email, and they have offices for their customer support located in New York City and Dublin. Let's make sure that they're able to get that 24-7 support throughout their whole suite now because they have offices in different parts of the world. They have Squarespace Commerce, which is their online store 
functionality. This is embedded into every Squarespace site. You can enable Squarespace commerce. You can sell physical things, digital things. So you could have your own blog, but then all of a sudden decide you want to sell some T-shirts where you can fire up a store and sell some T-shirts and you can take the store away. It's very simple to do. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month, and they include a free domain name if you sign up for a year. You can start out a free trial. You don't need any credit card to do this. You can start booting a website today, and you can see how awesome Squarespace is for you. You can import all of your content from your current site if you have one, play around with Squarespace, see how it looks, see how it formats, and just play around, have a go, and I'm sure you'll want to move over because they are that awesome. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure that you use the offer code GREATEST, that's a new code for the prompt. This is going to get you 10% off your first purchase and will show your support for this show. So thanks so much to Squarespace for supporting 5x5, the world's greatest podcast too. Squarespace, a better web, starts with your website. So, the new offer code is so nice. <laughs> I know, right? Greatest. <laughs> yeah, It's the greatest offer code for the world's greatest podcast. So Microsoft had a three-hour keynote today at Build. Um, and they spoke about a bunch of changes to their entire product lines. And there was a few things that I wanted to talk about in Windows Phone 8.1 and Windows 8.1 um, that I found quite interesting when I was looking at some of this coverage today. So the first one is Cortana. Uh, Cortana is Microsoft's new digital assistant. It's going to be um, in Windows Phone 8.1 and, and Bing first. And it's basically their answer to Siri and Google Now. Um, and it's kind of looking like it's taking some of the best from both. It, I've seen, I've watched some videos. I watched a video from The Verge, and I watched a 16-minute video by Joe Belfiore. He's the guy with the insane, awesome kind of crazy haircut. Uh, oh, works yeah. at Windows Phone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we all knew exactly who that was. Exactly. That's sort of sad. <laughs> I think that there's some stuff about this which is really impressive. Um, Federico, you'll like Cortana is the name of the AI in the yeah, Halo. Halo. It's where yeah. the name came from, and they've got the actress who did the voice work for Halo to do the yeah. voice hey, for Cortana. Hey, hey, keep that. Yes, Stephen, this other, is game keep that stuff. Keep your yes. other podcast. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so let me tell you some of the things that I found out about Cortana today that I think is really interesting. So as well as the normal stuff like. Um, what was the giant score today? And it shows you this in a nice view. Um, you can set well, a couple of features I found interesting. So you can set reminders like remind me to talk to Federico about pasta when I next speak to him. And the next time that I either call Federico, text him or email him, it will pop up that reminder. Oh, that's smart. I thought I really like that. Um, it learns your information and displays it to you like Google Now. So it learns flight information. So it can show you, oh, today your flight leaves at such and such time. This is the bus that you can take from your house, all that sort of stuff. That that interesting digital assistant type stuff where you open it and it's it shows you all of that, you know, as opposed to Siri where you have to ask it for things. Um, it has what it calls a notebook, which is the way that you... you uh, put information in so you can have it learn about you. Um, as Joe Belfiore said in the video, we observed real-world assistants and found out that they have notebooks. Um, <laughs> can you can you imagine just how, just how annoying it would be to have Microsoft executives following you and no, maybe it's... your boss your boss is so demanding and you got to keep attention to, to the boss and, and you got the Microsoft guy following you and taking notes? But he's got such cool hair. But this is what yeah. Cortana does for him instead now. Um, you can 
ask multiple step questions, which is something that I really wish Siri would do. So for example, you can say, show me a restaurant near here and it will show you a restaurant and you can just say, call it and it will do it. Yeah, because Siri doesn't understand most of the time, like the pieces of a, an ongoing conversation. Exactly. And, and Cortana is built to do that. Yeah. Um, it can do... Oh, one of the things that it does, which this is a cue from Google, as you're talking, the text updates live so you can see what it's what it's getting. You know, yeah, so, I, yeah, I really don't that's... like that about about Siri, but especially about voice dictation. Like you can talk into it and the little thing is just moving and yep. then it's like poof, gone or completely yeah. wrong. Yeah. It's frustrating. The, the best part is when you when you talk for like twenty seconds and the the icon keeps spinning and spinning and spinning and then you got nothing. Yep. And then you're like, why? Why, yeah, why so, is Tim Cook doing this to me? <laughs> Tim! Um, so Mike, and Mike, I will admit, I've not looked at much of this. Mm-hmm. Um, is this stuff happening on device? Because, I mean, Google now does at least some stuff on device, more so than, than what iOS is doing. I believe so, it's taking the text input on device, and then it's doing it all from the cloud. So it takes the text, it's like it takes the voice on the device and then it's sending the information to the cloud for whatever like if you're asking a question but i believe also that some information you have on your device is displayed in the views so it, right because it because like because like with siri like it's all like the the processing is taking place at least a lot of it off device and so it's sort of limited in functionality if you don't have that connection but something that neither siri nor google now do is integrate with third-party apps but Cortana does. So they show one example in the demo video of um, you can say a name of a show on Hulu, let's say The Simpsons, add this week's episode of The Simpsons to my queue in Hulu, and it will open Hulu, ping off a thing, and then throw you back to Cortana. So there's there's app switching going on yeah. in front of you? Yeah, okay. there's like it's, it's got... It's, but I think that's, there are APIs that you have to implement. So it can you can so Cortana can pull things from sure. applications. Sure, I mean it's got to know what your app is capable of yep. and know what vocabulary. You know, I really hope that's something that that Apple does. I mean, this is seems just like another example, and we keep coming back to these these topics on the show of of things where like Apple is sort of falling behind, and 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 I think this is definitely one of those areas with Siri, while it gains some new functionality, it's basically the same tool that it's been since day one, and and this sort of like it can open an app now, but that like, woohoo! You know, it needs it needs to do more. And also, you can uh, ask it questions via text rather than voice. Oh, nice! So you can type to it, and it will give you text back. It won't speak to you. Yeah, for me, the uh, I didn't watch the full video with Belfiore. I only. Uh, by the way, do you know what Belfiore means in Italian? No, please tell me. It means beautiful flower. Oh, Joey, beautiful <laughs> yeah. flower. That's yeah. uh, and that's amazing. Yeah. So um, the the best part for me is the person based reminder functionality because I always I even tweeted about this a few days ago. I always say that I would like to have a way to remind me to do something when I meet a person when I when I when I am with somebody and the this feature that you that you talked about, Mike, to be reminded when you text or call somebody it could be a first a first attempt at doing that that sort of stuff because 
it doesn't understand when you're physically close to someone, but again, maybe when you're calling or when you're texting, that's that's a good first start. Although I'm wondering how are you going to look at the notification when you're talking on the phone to someone, but I guess that's another problem. But yeah, that, that's a good idea. And I believe that I saw two weeks ago uh, a rumor that Google, Google Now is going to add uh, a new Who section to the reminders feature hmm. because right now they have where and when and I think I saw some leaked screenshots uh, of a who uh, section for the reminders so yeah companies are, are thinking about this uh, you know the logical next step to for reminders so that's exciting and the third party stuff and the 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 textual version of the assistant that's also super smart in my opinion I would really like to see Apple doing serious progress on Siri. And there's, you know, looking at the Cortana stuff today, it just, it lets you, lets you see just how wide this, this, this new area of software could be if you just want to experiment with yep. features. And, and I think Microsoft is, is doing a pretty good job, actually. I don't like the, you know, the, the design of, mm, I don't think it's called Metro anymore, right? It's modern UI. We'll call it Metro. We call it Metro. So I, I, I'm not a fan of the design, but, but the functionality of Cortana and the other stuff that they show today uh, for Windows Phone, that's pretty cool, actually. I urge you to watch the video. It's, it's 15 minutes long, but it's worth it. Like, they show some stuff. And if I've understood this right, like these little technologies that they're doing, they call it like Wi-Fi Sense and Battery Sense. Like Battery Sense, it can like... It, you can put it in automatic mode, right? So it will try and do its best to limit battery for you. So when you're at like 20%, they're saying that they can give you like another 24 hours by shutting off different pieces of functionality, which obviously you can control, but that's quite interesting to do. And I'm pretty sure I heard this correctly, but it sounds kind of crazy. They have this thing called Wi-Fi Sense, which will detect like good Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi signals to connect to. But it also said something about... If your friends opt into this, if you have somebody in your contact information and you're at their house, you can connect to their Wi-Fi. What? How that I seems was... crazy. <laughs> wow. I, I, okay. I, it was kind of like I was trying to watch it before the show and I'm sure I heard this. And it's, it seems very interesting to me. And I'll, I'll see if I can try and find a little bit more out about it before the end of the show today. But um, there was a couple of other, or maybe you guys, might, maybe one of you guys want to mention it um, or look for it while I'm talking about some other things that are in uh, Windows 8.1, <laughs> the desktop. I'm Windows now. I'm all Windows. Yeah. I thought you switched. Are you ha oh, have you bought a Windows phone? Mm, well, I do actually have one, but not a new I've, one. Mm. Okay, hang on. I'm from Engadget. Um here you go. So you can securely share your router's password of contacts in Facebook, Outlook, and Skype, giving friends an internet connection, but no full network access without setting up a guest mode. Hmm. So you basically become uh, a MiFi? Well, no, they, they just get access to your home Wi-Fi connection. Huh. I think that's cool. really cool. I mean, I, I guess, like, if you have all the parameters set up correctly yeah i think it's a good i think it's cool uh and windows 8.1 so there's a few things in windows so desktop windows windows is now free for devices under nine inches just an interesting change um 
touch office applications are finally coming for Windows devices. Something that I, I think a lot of people have maybe missed is that Office for iPad is out before there is a full touch office um, in the new style for Surface. It's not out yet. It's coming. Uh, the start menu is coming back to Windows in the Metro interface. Um, so they're bringing they're bringing a start menu back and a taskbar. Yeah, I, I saw a screenshot of that, and it's. I mean, I, I've used Windows eight, and it's crazy because it's you have Metro, and then you have sort of the desktop environment, and they're very separate. And this seems like a very natural way to combine them. Mm-hmm. There's lots of conversation to be had of Microsoft is backtracking on all these interesting decisions they made. Yep. But at least they're backtracking in a way that sort of makes sense. So there also, you can now run Metro-style apps in Windows in the regular desktop windows. Does that make any sense, what I just said? It's difficult to explain. Can can you say that again? So you know how you have the Metro-style apps in the new windows? And you know behind the new windows, you have old windows. No, say that again. Right. So you have Metro <laughs> apps in the new okay. look of Windows, Windows 8. See, that's where I get lost. Right. Windows you 8, have... okay? How how Windows currently looks now with the tiles and the big colors, right? Okay, okay. Big colors. You can go okay. into the old version of Windows yes. that looks like Windows yes. 7. Okay. You yeah. can now run Metro look style apps in Windows 7 and they show up in a application window. Oh, okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense. You can do that now. Um, they're also at to, all of this is being done to help for people that want to use a mouse and keyboard, and they've now added like close and minimize buttons and stuff. Hmm. And the last thing that I want to mention is Microsoft are introducing full universal apps, so universal applications that can be on phone, tablet, desktop, and Xbox. Yeah, when I, when I saw that, because we were talking about this in in the the chat today, uh, do you think that there's going that's going to be a problem for like independent developers who want to sell multiple versions of, of an app? Because I'm, I mean, it makes sense for a big company like I don't know Evernote or uh, I guess Yelp if they want to make an app and they want to make it available on every device. They just make a universal app for. Uh, PC and tablet and, and smartphone, but for a small developer, I guess if you cannot charge multiple times, that's going to be an issue, right? Well, I guess it's as much of an issue as it is on the iOS app store. It's the developer's choice. Yeah, so if it's the developer, I mean, I, I can see the advantage for, like I said, big companies, but, but I believe that if indie developers will ever make... Uh, you know, a big commitment to to the Windows platform, they will keep separate versions well, of an app because you want to monetize that. Well, it depends on what how you look at it, right? Because you you are you do and gladly pay more money for your apps that are on the Mac, right? You pay like thirty dollars for them or whatever. Yeah. Now, if you take iPad and iPhone at two or three dollars a piece. Then yeah, I I know what what you're. Yeah, you can maybe make more money in the aggregate by doing this. But I guess that that also speaks to Microsoft, um, like the idea that they have that that it's not separate devices with each app uniquely designed for that device. It's Windows everywhere. So the app needs to be able to scale to 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 each device. 
And so that's a very different, you know, way of thinking from from Apple, for instance. Uh, I think so. I, mean, I think, too, what, what's a bigger problem in my mind is like, a phone and an Xbox are very different. I mean, and you know, we've seen a lot of universal iOS apps obviously carrying a different interface on the iPad, at least the good ones. And like, I just don't know how you sort of solve the problem of like a tiny little phone and the TV, like all kind of at the same time. And I know there are companies that are doing that. I know that obviously there's apps for the Xbox, but like it seems sort of daunting to think about having to solve all that in, in one single app bundle. And one of the apps, I mean, you know, we talk about kind of in there with that. We talk about, um, you know, like 8 gig, 16 gig iOS devices and our apps are big and take up space. Like, I think that's going to be a problem here, too. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know the specifics of uh, the way that they organize the, the binaries. And I, I, I was also, again, thinking about Cortana and... Uh, do you guys think that maybe uh, the, the the kind of expertise that Microsoft has in in voice controls with uh, with the Xbox and with the uh, with the Kinect, uh, I guess that that it could be like the same technology because they've been they've been doing the voice controls for years now on Xbox, and and it's probably helped them. Yeah, so it, the Xbox was like a. Like a like 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 a test, I guess, to kind of like Apple did Siri as a beta on the on the iPhone 4s. The Xbox has been Microsoft's way of testing new new tech stuff, and th- that's pretty cool. Should we park Windows? Uh, yeah, sounds good. I mean, it's 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 all interesting stuff, and is the three of us? I mean. You know, obviously, primarily, if not exclusively, iOS and OS 10 users. Like, it is interesting to look at the other side and see what Microsoft's doing. And and obviously, this idea of, um, you know, uh, Apple keeping iOS and OS 10 separate and sort of their own thing, and and Microsoft having done very much a different thing is just, to me at least, endlessly interesting. So we've just spoken about Windows for half an hour. Should we talk about Android now? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Correspondence report. Okay, so we are very uh, lucky to be joined today by Mr. Russell Ivanovich from Shifty Jelly. Many, many people know him as Rusty. Hi, Russell. How are you? I'm good, guys. How are you? Very well, thank you. And uh, many people may know you um, as one of the fine developers of the application Pocket Cast, which I imagine many people are listening to this show in. So, um, Russell. We wanted to have you on today to talk a little bit about the Play Store. And this came because of some uh, handy follow-up that you provided for us uh, via the way of Twitter over the last couple of days um, in regards to our conversation that we had, that we, that we have had over recent weeks about the Play Store um, and in particular about the uh, the way that people can uh, reply to reviews in the Play Store. So I think it might be a good place if we start there, but then we do, I think we all have some questions for you as a developer of both Android and iOS um, as to your sort of opinions on the processes of, of having applications in both stores. So when it comes to being able to respond to customers, so as they leave reviews for you in the Play Store, you're able to respond to them. Could you do us a quick favor and very quickly explain 
the sort of the process of what it takes to reply, what the customer sees and what you see and how that's useful for you. Yeah, sure, no problem. So what, what happens is, just like the iOS store, um, uh, a customer who buys your app can leave a review at any time. They get to rate it between one and five stars and they get to say basically whatever they want in the review. Um, recently, I think maybe two or three months ago, Google introduced a feature where developers are actually able to respond to the reviews. And I think I was like you guys. I thought this is a terrible idea. Like this is never going to work and it's just going to result in, you know, developers abusing customers and customers abusing developers. But they did it quite smartly. So you get the chance to leave one reply and one reply only. And it's not a conversation. So let's say Mike leaves a review. He's like, Pocket Cast is the worst. You know, it's terrible. One star. But this is broken for me. We're able to go through the admin area of Google Play. We see Mike's review and we're like, oh, you know what? Mike seems a bit misguided there. Let's just kind of help him out. So we can we can leave a, a comment for him. We can say, you know, hey, Mike, I think you should email us and, and tell us what's broken. And that's visible to everyone who then goes and looks at that review. But it's it's not a conversation. So we leave that there. And then Mike, if he's opted in, he gets an email and he says, hey, the developers of Pocket Cast have left your reply. If you want, you can continue this conversation via email. And they actually get our support email address. And then if they choose to, they can interact with us. And, and honestly, nine times out of 10, when people are, are leaving one-star reviews, they're not trying to be mean. They, they have some kind of problem. They can't get something to work. And when they actually get in contact with us, they're like, oh, oh this is cool. Like now we can fix the problem. And then they go back and, and you know, amend their reviews. And it, it's a system that really seems to work. I was, I was super skeptical, but our, our support person here, Monica, we kind of just, she's like, do you mind if I respond to some of these? And I'm like, oh... Not, not a good idea, mm. Monica, but look, we're, we're going to let you do it. I'll just try it for a month. And she's been doing that for the past month, and it's been a really successful. Like, people have been, you know, getting help with their issues. And, you know, our actual overall star rating, I think, is up to, like, 4.6 or 4.7 now. Like, it's actually gone up, like, quite a bit So like just through that process. It, um, you can't have, like, a threaded conversation. You can make a reply to the review, and then they can't reply to that. And then it kind of – they see your, that your reply is emailed to them, and they're also given your email address to contact you in case they need further support. Yeah, so we don't get their email address. Uh, they get ours. And, yes, it's not a threaded conversation. So everyone who goes to the Play Store, they can expand, and they can see the fact that we've replied, but they don't get anything from then on. It's not a. It's not a back and forth. It's not a – a forum, it's not anything like that. It's just a, a chance to leave one reply to that user. Okay. So, and have you found so far that this, like when these customers come through to support, um, are they are they coming to you any differently at that stage rather than if maybe, like are you able to resolve these issues a lot better and get a better result out of it at the end? Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, nine times out of ten, people don't understand the intricacies of of what it means to be a developer and what what we can do. Like I think a lot of people that leave reviews, they expect us to read them and they expect us to do something about them. And they don't realize the fact that we don't have their contact details, we don't have any way to to contact them. So it's it's kind of helped us out in that way and and helped our customers as well that if they're leaving reviews with the intention of us reading them and actually doing something about them, it's a lot more helpful if we can reach out to them and say, "Hey, you know, this is not enough information or can you tell me a bit more?" You know, so we can fix this thing. There are still angry people. The Google Play Store is not a magical place full of unicorns or anything. There's still people who are, <laughs> are genuinely angry, and you can't you can't do much about those people. We tend to not respond to them at all. Like if someone's going to be, you know, abusive or mentally angry, might as well just let them go. Like there's no point in trying to turn those sort of people around. But the genuine people who are 
who are honestly just leaving reviews, be they one star, four stars, doesn't really matter, who are just asking questions. At least we get the chance to, to say, hey, can we you know, help you out with that? And I guess the benefit, right, is if you're able to answer it and it, and it help that person, other people can see it, you know, and then they, it might answer a question that they have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if there's a problem that is really obvious that we don't need any more information about, we can just put the answer straight in and say, hey, look, you just need to go here and, and tap this button. And they're like, oh, cool. And I, I assume other people see that as well. You know, they're like, oh, I had exactly the same problem. I can expand this. Oh, okay, there's a solution. So, yeah, it's helpful that way as well. Uh, so, Russell, uh, well, first of all, hey, um, nice to meet you. I'm a big fan of, of the app. And uh, I wanted to ask, um, can you attach uh, screenshots or videos to, like, prove that, um, for, for instance, a feature that a user cannot find is actually in the app? Can you, can you attach additional information on media, screenshots, videos? I don't know. No, so the, the initial reply that you get on the Google Play Store is just text. So you, okay. you can you can ask them to email you, you can do whatever you like, but you can't leave videos, you can't leave screenshots. It's just a, a simple bit of text, and it's probably actually limited in size as well. I don't remember the exact length, but there's, there's only a certain amount of things that you can write in there. And have you found uh, that maybe... Do you, do you get uh, a higher amount of support requests after, after a major update to the app? And how have you been... Uh, dealing with with the with the reviews on the play store after each update how do you ask people to make sure that they are on the latest version of an app is there any tool to see whether a review written by a customer was was created by a version of the app that's not the latest one yeah there is so every review actually has listed next to it um, the version of our app that it came oh, from nice. and if the user if the user chooses to put that information in there it actually lists their device as well that they're running it on and unlike Apple, when we release a major update, all the reviews don't get wiped. It's just that newer reviews replace the older ones and kind of slowly, you know, push them down. So it's, we don't even have to ask people, you know, there's a major new version, can you please leave us a review? Like, we don't need to do that sort of thing. So whenever we do, like we did a major update for Android just recently, and we got a ton of support requests because we changed quite a lot of things. But the good thing about the Google Play reviews is it's quite a passive process, so we still find that, you know, even though we can respond to reviews, people don't use that as their primary, you know, way of getting in contact with us. They still generally tend to email us from inside the app. It's more an action of, you know, later on when we've got some time, we see those reviews and we can go in and just, you know, help a few people out as well. Yeah. You know, there's been a lot of, um, obviously I talk about Microsoft in the last couple of weeks, you know, coming to the iPad with Office and that sort of thing. Um but as someone who, you know, you spend a lot of time both with Google and it's, you know, obviously Android and the, the toolkit and the Play Store, um, but also with iOS and, and with everything that, that comes along with that. Um, do you think that, or, or do you think that, it's, that it would be fair to say, you know, that maybe in the past people kind of pitted Microsoft and Apple against each other? Do you think that, that Google has kind of replaced Microsoft there? Like, what do you feel the relationship is between the, the two giants? Yeah, yeah, big time. I think, you know, in the past, people always saw it as the, the desktop war. So it was, you know, Windows versus OS ten, and it was Apple versus Microsoft and and all that sort of thing. That's definitely changed to, to be Google now. And I, I can tell you, uh, Apple is really, 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 Google kind of gets under their skin. I'll give you an example. So... We've developed, been developing on iOS since 2008, and I'm I'm our primary iOS developer. That's that's what I do. You know, sometimes I help in and 
uh, jump in and help with the Android stuff. But that's not, you know, what I'm best at. That's what that's what Phil does really well. And what happened is we were really friendly with our Apple developer reps. You know, they were featuring us in the store. They were putting us in actual physical stores. You know, on the various iPads and things there. And the second we released our Android version, I I can't get those guys to return my call. You know, they won't answer my emails. They won't anything. They just dumped us, you know, completely because they're really, I don't know, they seem overly sensitive to the fact that there is another platform and that, you know, Google, while, you know, in developers' minds, they probably still are the number two. They're the ones that are trying a lot harder than Apple. And, I mean, you've got to give them some, you know, credit for that. I mean, obviously, their reasons are because they are number two. But, you know, at the same time, they are doing a lot of things better. So, you know, we, we, we tend to stand up for them when, you know, people sort of have this view of Google of where they were four years ago, three years ago, where the Play Store was terrible, you know, it was full of spam. Uh, there was not yeah. a good app to be found anywhere. But, you know, mm-hmm. that, a, lot, a lot's changed in the last four years. They've employed, uh, you know, an app store team. They've got people going through there and cleaning it up. They've got people doing, you know, various promotions and things similar to what Apple does, I guess. And now it's like a really, you know, I think it's a really nice, clean way to, to get your Android apps. Do do you feel that sort of trajectory of you know the Play Store and every again everything that kind of comes with that uh, coming more sort of in line with what iOS is doing? Where do you see the the future? Do you see that these stores are going to become more alike? Do you think that they're going to drift further apart? Like kind of in y'all's roadmap, where do you see all this stuff landing? Yeah, that, that's a tough question to answer, but I, I can definitely tell you that Google are moving much faster than Apple are with implementing changes. And, I mean, the back end of their store is, is amazing. You know, for anyone that's ever been into iTunes Connect and tried to actually submit an app and, you know, update it, it's, it's terrible. Like, you're always terrified that pressing one button is going to, you know, take the entire system down and then you have to start all over again or your, your app disappears from the store. Whereas uh, Google, I guess, being a web services company, they've been evolving you know, the back end ever since we've been working with it. Like the latest version of it is is incredibly impressive. You know, they've got the beta testing stuff in there. They've got everything laid out really nicely and they just keep putting more and more things in there. And I honestly wish that, you know, Apple would care a bit more about the, the developer back end of things. And I, I think perhaps the reason they don't is because their customers don't see it. So they don't see us as developers as being, you know, anywhere near their, their primary customer base. So you know, everything that's customer facing is, is super shiny. But what a lot of people don't realize is when we go to the back end, it's of the Apple side of things, it's quite terrible. And it hasn't really changed, you know, to be honest, in four or five years now. You know, there's been small, uh, tiny things that they've done, but I really hope they, you know, they kind of stand up and pay attention and move that side of it along as well. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask, in fact, um, it was, uh, I think, last year that uh, Google I.O., they, uh, Google launched those new uh, statistics uh, tools for developers uh, for the Play Store. Uh, like yep. c- you can see, like the kind of traffic that you get on the Play Store. Is that right? Yeah, if you integrate um, analytics into your app, then you can get a whole uh, more information. Like, how did people find your app? Did they search for a particular keyword? Did they, you know, did they go straight to the store? Did they go from a link? So, yeah, has, has, that, has that allowed you to better optimize? the way that people find your app? Yeah, that's probably not a question for us because we've never been into analytics. Like, it's it's just a philosophical thing. We don't put uh, analytics into any of our apps. You know, we, we'd potentially like to know what buttons you're clicking and which part of our apps that, uh, you know, you're using. But we just, I don't know, there's just something about watching users to that level that we're just not comfortable with. Like, we figure you'll tell us if there's any pain points and 
and yeah, so I really have no idea. You'd have to find someone else who's who's actually done that. <laughs> and, and and also from a from a developer perspective, how have you? Do you think that Google is has become maybe more responsive than Apple? Had, you know, or at least the, the the company has improved in relationships with developers or with third party third party developers and. How how is working with Google? Because I think that there is uh, some kind of a, an idea in the Apple community that just putting out uh, an app on the Play Store is uh, some kind of a mystery. So how is dealing uh, with with the, with the Google Play Store team? Yeah, obviously I can only speak from my own experience, but it's been it's been really good. And the the two sides of that are that uh, the majority of the the Google team that we deal with are actual engineers you know the developers they're not really support people they're not uh, evangelists they're the actual developers who you know actively code things so uh, i'll give you an example i was having a problem you know with something last night so i just fired off an email to to our google developer rep and he got back to me within four hours he's like look i've passed this on to you know this person and that person and and i'll get back to you like i'll, I'll let you know where this stands and they've been really really friendly to us like i don't know if they're like this to everyone but you know we've we've had a really good experience whereas with Apple, you know, you get to file bugs and then you you get no response whatsoever to your bugs and there's no one really to contact, you know, at Apple when you're having an issue and it's very much just like a wall. You can, you know, try and kind of, you know, bring your petitions or whatever to them, but if they respond, they respond. If they don't, you know, they don't. Our experience with Google has been quite the opposite. Like they're, they're really, really, really passionate about actually helping developers out. And like I say, like it's not probably out of the goodness of their heart. They're, they are the number two in sort of in terms of developer interest. So I guess it's it's kind of in their best interest to try and be, you know, better at, than Apple at all these things. Russell, when you mentioned developer reps for, for Apple uh, and for Google, now I'm sure that not everybody gets access to these individuals. From your experience, at what point do, do, do you gain access to these representatives and do they contact you? Do you contact them? And do you tend to have contact with maybe one or two people specifically? Uh, yeah, so on the iOS side of things, I'm not sure what it's like for other countries, but in Australia we have one uh, developer representative and the, very, the attitude there is they're... Their information is not published anywhere. There's no way to get it from any sort of admin area. You've got to wait for them to contact you, basically. And so what happened in Australia is we had a very successful, uh, you know, weather app. It went to number one overall in the store. It was there for three weeks. And once we'd had a bit of success, that's when the Apple developer rep actually reached out to us and he said, look, you know, here's my name. Here's my contact details. You know, if you need anything, kind of, you know, call me or email me and I'll call you from time to time just to, to find out how things are going. Um, on the Google side of things, it's quite different. You know, they publish all their information publicly. You know, anyone can go and join the the Google Hangout with the developer people Hangout, and they actually encourage you to get in contact with them. So it's it's less of a you know don't call us, we'll call you type thing. So that that's I guess that's just a di- different sort of philosophical issue between the two companies. Like I wonder how many people in Australia don't even know that we have Apple, you know, developer representatives because they don't for whatever reason they don't make themselves available to developers unless you know, they actually want to specifically work with one developer. So it's it's a different sort of attitude, I guess. Russell, my, my last question for you is, is it true that users on Android are pirate apps more? Has, <laughs> has that been a problem for you guys? Uh, it, uh, yes and no. So it's it's very much true that piracy is easier on Android. 
um, because you've got access to a lot more of the file system. You know, you can copy the, the APKs on and off. You can install apps without an app store. Like you don't have to jailbreak an Android phone to install a pirated app. So that part of it is easier. But we we haven't really noticed you know as many problems as perhaps game developers do. I know a lot of game developers say that if you try and sell you know a paid game in the Android store, it gets pirated a lot more than an iOS. And I I have no doubt that that's true. But with with us and kind of making a you know a four dollar utility app, we haven't really seen a lot of piracy. And the piracy that we have seen is quite sort of casual piracy. Like you know Mike downloads an app and you know he he grabs it off <laughs> his phone and he he gives it to Federico and Federico's like cool you know free apps I love it. And but those kind of people are actually really easy to block. So what we tend to do is whenever a new version of our application comes out, we just block all the pirated users of of the previous version. They get a nice little pop up saying hey look. You know, I hope you've enjoyed trialing our app, but it's it's time to pay up. And that's, that's a pretty good response. Can you customize that message? Yeah, yeah, you can you can put whatever you want. In there. And <laughs> the cool thing about that is we know like 100% that you've pirated. Like there are a few a few things that change in an app when it gets uh, you know pirated, and there is perhaps more sophisticated methods of piracy that we we can't detect. But we're not so worried about those people. You know, anyone who's who's that hardcore that they want your app for free is is going to figure that out. We tend to try and stop all the the casual pirates and we get some funny interactions sometimes people will contact us and and there's some stuff we put in the email that we can tell that you've pirated the app and our first question is hey look just silly question you know randomly asking did did you pay for this like could it be that you're having problems because you didn't pay and sometimes they'll, they'll come out straight out and they'll be like yeah I, I didn't pay like i got it free from from here like is that a problem i'm like yes of course that's a problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah because some people some people actually don't realize that you have to pay for apps yeah someone some, People say to us, oh, I got your free version, but um, like we don't have a free version. <laughs> There's no free version. <laughs> there is no free wow. version. Um, so, but sales-wise, we make, I think, four times more sales on the Android store than we do on the iOS store for Pocket Cast. So exactly the same price, you know, very similar apps, obviously customized to the platform, but for whatever reason, it's been way more successful on Android than it, than it has on iOS. Russell? I want to thank you so much for for joining us today. I think it's given a, I mean, I've learned a bunch of really interesting new things today about the way that those the, the different stores are managed. It's uh, it's definitely interesting to hear from someone who has their feet in both camps because you know you're you not necessarily biased one way or another. So thank you for taking the time for being so honest with us as well and for sharing what you have. Um, where can people find you and find the work that you guys t- uh, do at Shifty Jelly? So if you want to troll me personally, I'm Rusty Shelf, or one word on Twitter. Um, but if you want to find our company, we're, you know, shiftyjelly.com, shiftyjelly on Twitter as well. You should, you should be able to find that. That's where you can be nice to us. But yeah, if you want to be mean, just contact me directly. And uh, thank you for all of your support for the show and for adding another accent to this week's episode to make it even more the world's greatest podcast than it usually is. <laughs> no problems. I'm glad the people of the world could finally um, experience an Australian accent. Can it be the the world's greatest uh, podcast? Yeah, we can go with that. Okay. Wait, 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 where can you go with great, greatest est? Oh, oh yeah. Wow. <laughs> I like it. Russell, thank you so much. No, thanks, guys. And uh, before I go, I just have to say, huge fan of your show. And I'm not just saying that because I'm here. I get very excited every Thursday when um, I'm about to go home and the prompt lands. I get a little push notification with my trophy and I'm like, Cool. Something to listen to in the car. So (laughs) keep it up, guys. We will. Thank you, sir. Thank you. No problems. Thank you. Weekly Picks. 
Okay, gentlemen, I think it's time for some app picks. What do you think? Let's do it. Why don't you start, Federico? Okay, uh, so my this my, my my pick for this week is a uh, is an iOS browser called um, iCab, and specifically the iOS version is called iCab Mobile. And um, iCab is, is a browser that's been around for quite a while. In fact, I think that uh, old people like Steven know that iCab was uh, around in the Mac OS something <laughs> days. And so uh, on the iPhone, iCab, again, has been around for years as well. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was one of the first browsers on the App Store. And the new version, which is version 8, it, uh, it, it, it was released uh, last week and it brings... Uh, it brings a redesign for um, for iOS 7, so it's not a major redesign. It's really just a, a, a white, uh, the classic white interface with uh, blue icons, but it's got a couple of interesting new features. So um, the settings uh, have been completely reorganized and because you're looking at the kind of app with a lot of options, like a lot, seriously, a lot of stuff that you can tweak, that you can change, that you can move around. You can even customize the, the the amount of buttons that you have in the toolbar. You can customize the order of those menus and buttons and, and sharing stuff. You can customize almost anything. And uh, it's really like a super power geeky version of Safari. And you you can you can download files with iCab, which Safari doesn't doesn't let you do that. And you can customize the way that tabs behave in the browser. You can add custom sharing services. You can uh, synchronize uh, the app with iCloud, Dropbox, Firefox Sync. And the app even has its own reading list. There's seriously a lot of stuff that you can do with, with iCab. And on iOS 7, aside from... Uh, like I said, the redesign. There's a new, there's a new um, background download uh, feature to download files in the background when the app isn't isn't running. And there's support for external keyboard shortcuts. And <laughs> this is yeah, such I a know, Federico app. Like I know that's crazy, right? And and I, you know, Mike, I, uh, did you see I have on Mac Stories that page with all the iOS keyboard shortcuts? And I, when I added iCab. It basically took me like 15 minutes because uh, it's over 40 keyboard shortcuts, oh and y- you can completely con- you can control the browser completely with the keyboard. You can open and close tabs, uh, select menus, even navigate the settings using the keyboard. So that that's seriously awesome on an iPad. Um, of course, on iOS you cannot set iCab as your default browser. Um, every time every time you open a link from mail or messages. Safari will come up. That was said with such hate. Like, I could feel it. Like, obviously on iOS, you cannot set your... (laughs) Buy a a Windows phone, hippie. (laughs) So, so yeah, uh, Cortana, make me a default browser. And um, so... um, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, uh, Safari will still launch. It will still... uh, And, by the way, I love Safari. I really really like Safari. I just, you know, iOS flexibility and stuff. Anyway, um, you'll have to manually open iCab, which is made easier by a URL scheme. Naturally. So, 
Yes, so you can do, you can seriously like get lost in ICAB. You can spend an afternoon just messing around with stuff and then you'll call me and say, teacher, you, you made me lose an afternoon in ICAB and I'll be like, I'm sorry, that was my weekly pick. Talking about getting lost in a cab. <laughs> That's oh, wow. the weirdest. <laughs> <laughs> wow. My sorry. app this week is called Double Decker, which is a uh, bus application for people who live in London, like me. It's a little specific. I don't know what you want from me. I, I don't even think there are buses in Tennessee, so... Are there people like you in London? Many. Like actually. other mics? There are many. They're, run, they're running around. <laughs> little mics, we call them, but we don't want to talk about these guys too much. Um, Double Decker, it's spelt really fun. It's D-U-B-B-L-E, Decker. Double Decker, as a Double Decker bus, is a bus in London that has uh, two floors i don't really know how it seemed <laughs> Thank levels you. levels i didn't understand what that word meant well one of the hosts of this <laughs> show had to have it clarified to him before we started that was why i thought i would explain it to everybody else mm. well when you first when I, when you first <laughs> showed me the app i thought that it was black and decker right okay is so, it not yeah, a game thanks. in which you play a deranged bus driver and you basically grand theft auto everybody so this app is, from an iOS 7 perspective, it's designed really well. You open it and you're given one big button that says find nearby bus stops. You press the button and it loads into a map view, zooms in, and you're see, you see all of the bus stops that are close to you. What I really like is that it has two, a sort of like a little rotating view. So you have the little circles which indicate a, a nearby bus stop. And then what it does is it shows you the name of the bus stop because all bus stops are categorized by a letter. So bus stop WB is the closest to me but then it rotates with an arrow to show you which direction the bus is going in so you know which side of the road you need to be on very clever um, and I just like the animations in general it's got a lot of those really fun sort of like uh, momentum bouncing type animations and the pull to refresh thing's really nice so you pull down and you start to see like a little cityscape and then a little bus comes in from the left hand side and then when you reach like the natural end of the port to refresh, the bus stays in the middle, it updates, and then when it, it loads again, the bus zooms off into the distance. Very nice. I like it a lot. It's a really nice app. If you uh, take public transport in London, like I do, then you should check out Double Decker. Cool. Mine is uh, also transit-related a little bit. Um, wow, there are lots of themes today. Yes. Uh, my, my pick is uh, Strava running and cycling. There's a bunch of apps that do this, but it's a GPS run and ride tracker. So if I'm out on my bike, I can open this app. It runs in the background and it can track my, uh, my bike ride. So it can track speed, elevation, uh, obviously the route. So it puts all that information on a map. It does have a, a premium uh, sort of offering that you can pay some money for and kind of gives you more detail, can break down a route and see who's leading in different areas and that sort of thing. Uh, but I just use the free account, and it works great. You can follow people. They can follow you. You can comment and give each other high fives, that sort of stuff. And uh, it's a great little great little app. It's the cycling community here in Memphis. It's kind of the backbone of all that, so you can see what other people are doing. And um, it's great. The You can use it for free. You don't ever have to sign up for the premium stuff. And uh, it's pretty cool. Excellent stuff. I think that brings us to the end of this week's episode. If, if I say so myself, a really solid and interesting episode this week. I'm going to say that, guys. Would you agree with me? I'm going to ask Cortana. Okay. Shall I ask Siri? 
Please do. Was this a good episode of The Prompt? Let me have a look. My web search turned this up. Of course. The web search says yes. Okay. Ah. If you'd like to catch up with us online, there's a few ways you can do that. You can get us all on Twitter. I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Federico is at Fetici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And Stephen is at I-S-M-H. Stephen writes at 512pixels.net. Federico writes at maxstories.net. I have another podcast with Federico called Directional, which you should check out if you enjoy video games. And I also have a bunch of other podcasts over at 5x5. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can go to see to our show notes page for this week, which is 5x5.tv slash prompt slash 42. Not only is that where you'll find all of the sweet, sweet links for this week's episode, you'll also find a button that says contact, which you can click and it will open your email app of choice so you can send Stephen a lovely email. If you want to get in touch with us on Twitter... Did you just dox the uh, contact button? Or Federico. <laughs> or me. An email. Hmm. hmm. If you would like to get in touch with us on Twitter, which we love, you can. Uh, we are at underscore the prompt. Thank you so much for listening to episode forty-two of the world's greatest podcast. This episode has actually been the answer to everything, as well as being the world's greatest podcast. <laughs> Until next time, bye bye. Uh, oh come on! How can I not make the Hitchhiker's Guide joke? Adios. Say goodbye, Federico. I said arrivederci, but I'm going to say that again. Arrivederci. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>